Let us look back to the portion we've read. And we've read in the book of Psalms, chapter 118. We want to center our attention, particularly in words we find in verse 17. As the Lord enables and looking at them within their context. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, by way of introduction, notice that these are words that can be spoken by believers only. And you see that in the context, if you look at the next verse, the Lord hath me has chastened me sore. Chastisement is something that belongs to believers only. It is, um, it implies sonship, and it implies the loving discipline of a father. And that is something that applies to believers only. They are the sons. They are sons by adoption. Indeed, we can say that this is supremely met in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Wasn't that spoken prophetically of them by the psalmist and by the, by the prophet Isaiah, that chapter 53. Chastisement of the Lord is upon me. And was he not one who lived supremely by faith while he was on this earth? We can look at this text, three strands of thought that are brought before us very clearly here. And we're looking at it today as it applies to the believer. The three strands of thought, first of all, I shall not die. Secondly, I shall live. Thirdly, I shall declare, I shall proclaim, I shall witness to the works of the Lord. And in that order. First then, I shall not die. Now we speak of death twofold anyway. We speak of death temporal, and we speak of death eternal. Death temporal is the separation of body and soul, and death eternal is the separation forever of our passions from God. Let us look at, first of all, then, death temporal and see how these words apply, I shall not die. Every believer knows that he will pass through that change that we refer to as death, that change of separation of body and soul, unless Christ comes first. But And, 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 and that, that death has a dreadfulness, has a, a dread about it, even for the believer. 
It has a thread about it. Let's leave it at that. Because, um, well, it is, it's a separation of the components, the two components of our humanness, wrenches them apart. There's a dread about that, dreadfulness. And this temporal death is also the product, the consequence of the fall. And in that sense, it is our last enemy. So there is that dreadfulness that attaches to this death temporal. Nevertheless, the believer can say, I shall not die, in the sense that the dread is removed for him, for this, from this death. And it's removed from it because Christ has entered into the experience of this death temporal in the Roman place of his people. And he has taken, he has overcome it. He has risen triumphant over it. And um, in that sense, he has carried the thread away for his promised people. And therefore they can say, O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? Sting of death is sin, strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The dread is taken away from the believer. And indeed, Scripture speaks of this transition, which is what it is, as a sleeping in Christ. I have heard it put, and I leave it with you, that Christ has sweetened the grave for his people. As far as that temporal death is concerned, then I shall not die in that sense that he has carried away that threat for his believing ones. But then there is death eternal. And that, as I said already, is the separation of our persons from God lies beyond the grave. And uh, it speaks of hell. It speaks of the words, depart from me, cursed. Into that place prepared for the devil and his angels. But Christ has again taken the sting out of this death for his people. Strength of sin is the law. Well, he has met the claims of the law upon them as sinners. He has borne their damnation in their Roman place. And therefore, they shall not die this death. And they can surely say, oh, death, where is thy sting? That victory then. And the believer can say in both senses, I shall not die. But then there's the second part, I shall live. That the believer can say, 
the believer is a possessor of eternal life? No. He has come into possession of that eternal life at the moment of his rebirth, the moment of regeneration and the exercise of faith. And that life will continue forever. That is another reason, of course, why he will not die. Christ gave himself livingly to death. And there's a sense in which the believer in Christ will give himself livingly to death also. He shall not die. But let's look at the, I, he shall live. Now, we speak of three phases of the enjoyment of this eternal life that the believer possesses. The first of these phases is now, when he's in a state of probation. As I've already said, it began at the moment of regeneration. And it continues, and he has that eternal life now. But we must distinguish here between the status, the standing of the believer and the condition of the believer. As far as the status of that, as far as the standing is concerned, he has full possession. No, he has the title deeds in his hands, as it were. I shall live. I am living. I have eternal life in Christ. But as far as the condition is concerned, the person who has this eternal life is in a state of probation, he is uh, undergoing a process of sanctification in which there is a warfare, flesh against spirit, spirit against flesh. And in which the possessor of this life meets up with the the, the the tramlings of sin. It's like a, a net going under his feet and it's, it stands in his way. Stands in the way of his enjoyment of this life very often because of the tramlings of sin that he finds with him in this state of probation. There are moments also when he experiences sweet enjoyment of this life. And that uh, is a, a, an incentive for him to go on. It's as if the doors of glory are opened to him a little bit to encourage him 
to go on. But there's these two in, the, in this state of probation, as far as the enjoyment of the eternal life is concerned, there's the, there's the deep valleys, as it were, when the, because of the tramlings of sin, he doesn't have the enjoyment of it. There are other times when he does. But there's, that's the position as far as the state of probation is concerned. He has the full possession, but the enjoyment varies from time to time. But then there is the second phase. At what we call death, at that transition from being in the body to being separated, soul separated from body. We know we're now speaking of the experience of eternal life in a disembodied state, disembodied state of the soul. And now, you see, there's no longer the case of enjoyment and lack of enjoyment, because now he has been fully sanctified. That sanctification took place at the moment of the transition, the moment of the change, the passing out of this world. He passed away is a term we use often. And he has whatever sanctification was there in his life prior to that moment of transition. At that moment, oh, it was what was there before is like a drop in the bucket compared to what is there now. There is the complete sanctification. And that's what enables them to enter into the full enjoyment in a disembodied state, in, in the soul's enjoyment of this eternal life that it possesses. Difficult for us to understand the disembodied state. But there is a conscious intercourse that is there between the soul and the Savior. There is what is spoken of by theologians as the beatific vision. There is the enraptured um, contemplation of the, all the excellences of God. And as George Smeaton has it in this lovely book that is out just now, God himself delights in these. And if God delights in them, oh, shouldn't the believing soul also find great enjoyment in them? soul has entered into glory. The souls of believers are at their death, at their transition, made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And it's a wonderful, trans wonderful change. 
They come in, that soul comes in to glory. It joins the choir of glory, it joins into the praise of glory without causing a ripple of interruption to those who are already there and engaging in that choir of praise. They just fit in and they take over that song. And they enter into the enjoyment of uh, that beatific vision. We, it's not with the natural eyes that they see, but there's a spiritual perception of the soul, of the glory of Christ, of, of the, the excellencies of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the triune God. And that becomes their contemplation and their song. And then there is thirdly, that, uh, enjoy, that experience of eternal life at and after the resurrection, the physical resurrection. Souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness, their bodies still united to Christ, mysteriously united to Christ, covenantally united to Christ, resting in the grave till the resurrection. But at the resurrection, they will rise glorified bodies to join with the already glorified soul into the full enjoyment of God, body and soul, total humanness to all eternity. I have not seen, ear has not heard, Neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. But the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, and that is enough. These are the I shall live. I shall live in the state of probation. I shall live in this disembodied state of the soul. I shall live in this glorious state of body and soul, a whole humanness entering into the full enjoyment of God unto all eternity. And now just a little, just a word or two about the last part, because there's so much here. I shall declare, I shall proclaim, I shall witness to the works of the Lord. And before we can enter into that exercise of declaring the works of the Lord, we must see our whole life in the perspective, in the context in which God sees it and in which God desires us to see it. To see our whole lives from the moment of conception in the womb of the mother, through that tiny st initial state of being a fetus, right through into the state of probation, continuing into that um, disembodied state of the soul and on into 
the resurrection glory of body and soul together. You see that whole process as one indivisible whole. With this, in, with this in mind, that we should reach the ultimate for which we were created. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the whole of our lives from, the, from beginning right through that process, one indivisible whole. And it's like a map. It's like a map of a river, as it were. So that the believer has whatever, whatever portion, whatever, whatever stage he is at within this state of probation now, he can look back to the point where the Lord called him by his effectual call. He can look back to where it is founded upon the finished work. And he can look forward to that which is yet to be. He must see things in that perspective of what God intends for his life. He must refer to these different points from beginning to end of this indivisible whole. Which the Lord, through the finished work of Christ, is bringing him. And there, you see, that's the context in which we must be enabled with. We must see things in that perspective before we can begin to declare the works of God. And when we do have that map, when we do have these, that, these reference points within this indivisible whole, where are the works? Oh, there's so many of them. But would you not agree with me that they are particularly there in the holy mercy and in the persevering grace where salvation is all of God himself? Oh, there's so much we can put within that context of little details that fit into these headings. But these are the basic works. And that is where we are to rejoice. That is where we are to witness. That is what we are to proclaim. Come see what the Lord hath done for my soul. Believer, you are on a good course. The life that has begun is an everlasting life that shall never die. I shall not die, but live and shall declare the works of the Lord. Let's pray. God's mercies I will ever sing. And with my mouth I shall thy faithfulness make to be known to generations all. 
Your mercy shall be built to die forever to remain. O oh, blessed be thy name for the great love, for the great mercy, for the wondrous grace that underlies every part of this indivisible whole, this indivisibly whole journey that thou hast for thy people, this great goal to bring them to their allotted place in a confirmed state of glory and to bring them, let us not forget also, not only to a confirmed and allotted space, but to an allotted activity in the service and worship of God forever and ever. Amen.